Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year coming. Um, You know, we have been a church from the very, very beginning, a church that decided to set aside a percent of all giving to go to missions. We've been a church that has been happy to rent and not invest in a, in a building so that we can uh, be a church that supports missions. And uh, this morning we're blessed to hear from our most recent uh, missionary that we support, Ricardo Morales. Actually, the whole family, you want to come on up and let me just pray for you guys. And maybe, maybe just a, a, a short um, update uh, where you guys have, what the plan is as far as getting to Columbia. Here, let me, I don't want to stand above you like that. You are above me. No, no, no. No, so, so the Morales family, you were with us for many months. Almost a year. Almost a year. And then, and then went back down to Grace Community Church. Uh, in Southern California. That's the sending church yes. to Colombia, and we are fortunate to be a, a church to support you as well. So, yes. so what's the latest? Well, first of all, it's a big, big joy for us to be with all of you, our family. We really, really miss you. Every Sunday, uh, we remember you, we pray for you, and uh, just the fellowship of this church and the love that is here it's a reminder of, of God's grace, of God's goodness, and you are a really good example of who Christ is. So, first of all, I want to say that. And, um, yes, we are still on our way to Colombia. COVID-19 has slowed us um, a little bit, a few months. Uh, we are still planning to go maybe May. That would be the, a good day to tell right now, to say. And we will go there to do two things, to do church planting and to help establish a seminary in Colombia. So I don't know, honey, and Bibi, if you want to say something. Um, I just want to say hi to all the kids there. Um, and I hope you guys all have a happy new year. You miss your friends here, don't yeah. you? <laughs> a lot. I miss my friends here, too. <laughs> we, um, it's, it, it, just like for you guys, um, it's been a little crazy in Los Angeles County this year. Um, And you can pray for them even right now. Like I'm getting texts left and right from friends that are down with COVID right now. So it's getting pretty bad in Los Angeles County. Um, But we've been very privileged to be a part of of Grace Community this whole time that they've been open back and forth. Um, And just just getting to know some folks there. We've been involved with a Spanish ministry. So that's been really good for my Spanish. So you guys can keep praying for me. I'm on Duolingo every day. I was in the top 2% of Spanish learners on Duolingo this year. I just want to point that out. So I do really well. Yahoo. (laughs) I do well until they ask me a question and then like I derail and I'm like, okay, I have no idea what you just said. So so that's been really, really good. So um, even I've been able to be in with um, a ladies' mm-hmm. Bible study that's all in Spanish, including my homework. So they don't speak English to me. They don't go easy on me. So that's been a blessing for us to be, invo- be able to be involved that way, too. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, hey, let me pray for you guys, and then we'll hear from Ricardo. Hear from the Lord through Ricardo. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this sweet family. We love them so much. We're quickly... Uh, bonded to them as friends, and uh, Lord, we're we're grateful that you brought them 
to this church, that we might be associated with them, that we might be used of you to, to support and encourage them. And we pray for their preparation. Lord, thank you how you sustained them uh, in what could be really discouraging um, times, wanting to go, wanting to serve, wanting to be at work, and then you using them and, and putting them to work in a different way in, in preparation. Uh, but we pray that they will go soon to Columbia, and Lord, that, uh, that you will use them mightily to equip pastors to uh, preach the gospel rightly and to be a blessing in, in counseling and, and to the people there. So thank you for the Morales family. Thank you for this time that we get to hear from you through Ricardo, and we ask your blessing on his preaching now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I can tell that this is a pulpit designed for Jim and for Bill. <laughs> Not for Colombians. Uh, while you open your Bibles in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, it's a privilege for me to be here today, a big, big um, joy to be able to share the word with you. This is a pulpit and a church that I respect highly, so that's good. The second is that I want to make a disclaimer that I made last time I preached here. Is that today I will be preaching in my third language. So as you can imagine, that is a big challenge. My first language is um, Spanish. My second language is Californian English. And I will do my best to preach today in Oregonian English. So you need to kind of really focus. And, 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 and those who have been in a pulpit, pray for me <laughs> that, that, that people are really understanding what I'm saying, okay? So let's read Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians is the New Testament, chapter 4. We are going to read verse verses 1 to 16. So, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and fire of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended 
is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the wisest man that's ever, ever lived on the earth. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, compared the person who hears his words and does his words to the wise man who built his house on the rock. This wise man digs deep and establishes the foundation of the house on the rock so that, so that as the storm com comes, the rain, the flood, his house won't fall. And then he compares the man who hears his words and does not do them to the foolish man who builds his house without foundation on the sand. So that when the rain, the storm comes, what happens to his house? It falls. And you know, I believe all of us here have heard that parable. And oftentimes, we ignore it. We don't give the value, the understanding, the insight that that parable has in our lives. Because who would do that? No one of us. Not even my little daughter. Eight years old, she wouldn't build her house on the sand. Knowing that the waves would come and destroy it. But we forget the point of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about a house. A physical house. Because obviously no one of us would build our houses on the sand. But he was talking about our lives. Our souls. Our eternal life. Our journey on this earth. And we build our houses on the sand. Many of us have built it on the American dream. And as we face years like 2020, 
as we find storms, winds, floods, fires coming up on our houses, our lives, our souls, our spirits. We start feeling that maybe we are up in the air, that our lives are being shaken. And as we turn the page of this year 2020, as we close this year, a year that our lives have been hit by many circumstances that we never ever thought would happen, I believe we need to examine ourselves upon which foundation are we building our houses, meaning our eternal life, our eternal, eternal dwelling. Do you have a purpose for your life? What is the foundation of your life? Do you even have a purpose for your life? Do you know upon what foundation you are establishing your life? Are you building your house, meaning your own life, your eternal life, in such a way that it can stand the winds, the storms of this life? I believe Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 give us the purpose of, life, of our lives and three cornerstones, three principles, three foundations to make sure that we are living, we are building our lives in such, a, in such a way that it doesn't depend on present circumstances, but that they are, their lives are being built in indestructible, unperishable, solid foundations. The title of my message today is Three Indestructible Foundations for Life. And the first one is to exalt Christ in your world. The second one, to exalt Christ in your church. The third one is to exalt Christ in your heart. My prayer is that today you may learn that you as a believer have been provided with three cornerstones upon which you can build the foundation of your life so that you may weather the storms of this life. But before we go through these three points, to exalt Christ in the world, to exalt Christ in your church, to exalt Christ in your heart, I want to make two observations which will help us to understand and to better apply these three points. The first one, that, the first observation I want to make is that this book, the letter of the Ephesians, was written to the church, to the believers in Ephesus. In that church, in that, in that city, there were not mega churches, no fancy churches like we see today here in the States. There were many or several small little churches, very poor, very humble, struggling churches. The second um, point regarding some observations about um, the church of Ephesus, is that um, Ephesus had about 250,000 inhabitants. It was a very, very prosperous uh, city, like Los Angeles, New York, 
London. There, in that city, there was um, the temple of Artemis, or Diana to the, for the Romans. And Artemis was the Greek goddess of fertility, the patron and protector of young girls, the queen of heaven, the savior, the mother goddess. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The image of Artemis was in the coins. There in Ephesus was located the largest bank in the world at that time. There were religious prostitutes. There was public immoral worship. It was the capital of paganism, the capital of witchcraft, the capital of the occult in the ancient world. Just think a little bit maybe of the Vatican. Thousands of people going every single day. Or the Carnival, Carnival of Rio de Janeiro every single day. Or the Pride Parade we see today. That is how immoral that church was in the regular places. And why is this observation important? Because this letter wasn't, was written, this letter was written for real people. People who were living in the world. Scriptures were not written just for academic scholars or theologians who live in a vacuum. Scriptures were not written just as a principle so that we can live our lives better. It was written so that we may live Christ in a suffering, sinful, lost world. Jacksonville County, Jackson County, has 220,000 habitants, very similar to Ephesus. Here we also find marijuana, hemp, homeless, drug users, immorality, violence, human trafficking. Do you understand that the world is needing this word? This word is not just for us. It's to be lived out. Imagine if you were in Ephesus receiving this letter. Maybe your, we, your neighbor was a witch. Maybe your neighbor was a prostitute. Maybe your neighbor was selling images. It was a lost world. Just like we're living today and maybe even worse. The second observation I want to make regarding the context of this is that the text we are studying today is located in the second half of, of the book of Ephesians. And many of us have heard of, have learned that the three first chapters of Ephesians are about theology. The second three chapters are about application. The first three chapters are about how God sees us in Christ. The other three chapters are how, are about how the world should see Christ in us. The first three chapters, in the first three chapters, we are reminded that we have been introduced to the heavenly places. The, these chapters are about how we should introduce the heavenly places in the world in which we live. 
So we are talking about practice, about application. Oftentimes we enjoy a lot of knowledge about the Bible and maybe to show or to learn or to feel satisfied about how much knowledge we have about the Lord. But it's also about applying. It is not enough to have a lot of knowledge about God. In some ways, it is more important or as important as having knowledge is applying it. Applying it in our day to day. And this knowledge I'm talking is not a head knowledge. I'm talking about that relationship with Jesus Christ that allows us to overflow, to, to know him and to know his heart so that we may be his feet, his hands in this world. This is important to say because I don't want today just to give you three steps or three principles. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Christ which is manifested in the exaltation of him, of his purpose for us, of his example. With that understanding of those two um, observations I just made, basically that we don't live in a vacuum, that this is real, powerful world to be lived out in a world that is lost. And second, that this is practical, what we are going to be learning today. Let's start looking at the um, three points. The first one will take um, longer than the other two, so don't worry. I will be done before 1 p.m. <laughs> I will be as brief, as brief as I can. So the first one, to exalt Christ in the world. We will see that in verses 1 to 6. And, and Paul starts with these words. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Imagine Paul in prison. I'm sure that all of us can imagine Paul in this situation after the quarantine in which we have been. <laughs> Poor Paul. <laughs> And at that point, I'm sure that as many of us, Paul, Paul was able to examine, to think, what did you do? Confined in a room. But to think about your past, your present, and your future. And I think all of us in this time, we have been able to think about the good times we used to live. About the condition we have right now. And more than ever before, we are thinking about tomorrow with a very pessimistic perspective. So Paul, there, thinking, he's urging them, he's telling them something. And I think we need to place ourselves in this time not as the worst time in our lives, but maybe as, the, as a good time for us to examine our past, our present, and our future. And he says, I therefore, I therefore. And what does it mean, therefore? Therefore is the why he's going to urge them. Therefore is 
because of this or as a result of this or as a consequence of this, I am going to urge you. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to exhort you. And what could be that therefore? What could be those reasons? Well, the theology that he has been, he has been speaking to us in the first three chapters. He's not just speaking out of emotions or a vague philosophy. He has a well-established theological structure, who God is. And though I could mention many things out of those three chapters, let me just mention a few things why he's urging them. You know why? Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Because he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Because he has blessed us in the beloved. Because in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, of our trespasses. Because he has lavished upon us in all wisdom, making known us to us the mystery of his will. Because in him we have obtained our inheritance. Because we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Because we were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because we were, though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he has made us alive in Christ. Because of those things, he can urge us, he can claim, he can say that we can live out that word. And today, we should be very, very excited and very joyful. Imagine all those blessings you have in Jesus Christ. Imagine those hopes that you have in Christ. We should be living the most excited lives any, any human could have. Because there are things that have taken place in eternity that give us a, an eternal hope. And because of that, he urges them. He begs them. He implores them. It's a call to articulate. It's a call to live out. It's a call to flush out that theology. This is a call to conduct ourselves to practical living. It is not about, it is not about talking how the light works, but it is about being light to the world. And then he tells them, he's urging them, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to what? To walk in a manner worthy. What is to walk? To walk is to comport oneself, to behave, to live, to conduct in a manner that is worthy. What is worthy? Worthy means in a manner corresponding to the necessity or according to the expectation. For example, a judge. How does a judge have to behave? If a judge is every single night in a bar, if a judge is a crooked person, 
Is he behaving according to the call he has as a judge? Maybe not. If he is in all kinds of dishonest businesses and practices, he's not. Maybe not. And what is that call that we need to be living out or, or the expectation we have? In Ephesians 1.18, it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? First Thessalonians 2, 12, referring to that call, says, we have been called to his own kingdom and glory. The call to which we have to conform our lives, our behavior, our living, is a call to an eternal hope, to an eternal inheritance, to a glory that will be shared with Christ. It is not necessarily a call to live the American dream or to attain knowledge in this world or possessions or accomplishments. Prosperity. First Peter 2.9, talking about that call, finds it in this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our call, to be a holy nation, a chosen race, royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. Our purpose, our reason to live should be the foundation to build our lives in this world. That is to announce, to proclaim, to exhibit the excellence of him who called us. And with that in mind, we should build our lives. If I wanted to be an engineer, if I were to call to be an engineer, I guess it would be good if I learned a little bit of math. Don't you think so? Same thing. If we are being called to proclaim his goodness, to be in fellowship with him, it's good if we build our lives on those expectations. But notice that this high call, this high call we have, is not built upon lofty foundations, but upon one which we don't talk too much about today. That is humility. Humility. What is humility? Humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. It is an attitude born out of your heart. And just like other, any other virtue, humility has the notion of wholeness, entirety, completeness. For example, integrity. You cannot say that you are honest in the church, but you are dishonest. In your business, 
Is that right? I cannot say that I'm very patient here in the church. Oh, how patient he is. Look how he doesn't care how he helps with the chairs and oh, wow. But then I'm not <laughs> patient in my, in my home. Humility has the notion of wholeness, completeness, one. You are humble or you are not humble. Is that right? You are meek or you are not meek. So, so two things I want to say about humility uh, to help us apply humility. The first one is that there is no other foundation to build your life. And I'm talking your eternal life. There is not any other. Listen, there is not any other foundation upon which you can build your life, your future, your joy, if it's not upon humility. I like the words of um, a famous Scottish pastor, uh, Thomas Guthrie, who said, listen, just as the grandest edifices, the buildings, the tallest towers, the loftiest pinnacles rest on deep foundations, also the very safety on the eminent gifts and preeminent graces given by Christ lies in their association with deep humility. The wider and the deeper your humility is, the stronger will be the foundation of your life to resist the storms of our lives. How many ministers we have seen falling into sin because of pride, arrogance? How many churches have been separated? How many families, how many couples have gotten divorced because of pride? Humility is key. A second observation in terms of application that I want to say about humility is that at the end of the day, in practical terms, humility means dependency, intimacy, fellowship with God. Listen to these two beautiful, maybe three verses that I want to read, three scriptures. And just listen. It says in Isaiah 66, 1, 2, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my heart has made. And so these things came to be, declares the Lord. But listen how this is so beautiful. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 57 echoes those words, verse 15, when, when Isaiah says, For those, says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him we suffer contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive 
the spirit, the heart of the contrite. First Corinthians 1.9 says, we have been called into the fellowship of his son. So humility is so important, so indispensable. And in that, we can rejoice, many of us. I know it has been a very difficult time for many of us. But we have to follow the example of Jesus Christ to be able to have fellowship with him. And he humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross, of suffering. And today, as we look at the sufferings that we have had in this year, the bad news that we have had, they might be the very, very, very best good news we have ever had if they brought us to closer intimacy with Christ, to realize how much we need Him. For us, it has been a difficult year a little bit. I wish I could be in Colombia. I wouldn't be called just Ricardo Morales. I would be called Professor Ricardo Morales, huh? That would be nice, huh? Professor Ricardo Morales in a seminary, wow. Or I would be called Pastor Morales. I'm just Ricardo Morales now. But that has brought us closer to the Lord. And whatever circumstances have come into our lives, into our lives, They can be, and they are such a huge, huge, huge blessing when we see them through the heavenly perspective. It's not about poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me. No. Maybe bless you, bless you, bless you. Why? Because you are dependent on God. It's so hard for us to receive. Wow, so hard for us to receive. I wish I could be giving money to everyone. And now I have to ask for support. How hard that is. How humbling that is. How humbling that is to receive an offering and say, wow, thank you, I need it. It's very humbling. But in that, we are learning to rejoice. And maybe what is the condition you are going through right now that you see as your world is crumbling. That might be the house that you were building on the sand, on the things and the expectations that this world has for us. But maybe God is giving you that opportunity to start showing you that he's building your house in the heavenly places. And you are closer and closer to John 14, where he's building you a, a dwelling, a house, a new body where suffering will be no more. But we need to walk this journey. But we need to establish these foundations so that our houses, our houses may not fall through the storms that we are living and we are about to live. Then, let's continue with the text. Paul says that um, we also 
need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Jesus said, learn from me that I'm gentle and humble in heart. It's in your heart. It's in your heart. With patience. Patience is tolerance to restrain yourself under provocation. And now, uh, and then it says, bearing with one another in love. That's how we are to walk. That's how we are to establish our foundation in this life. In all humility, in gentleness, in patience, bearing one, one, one another. Why? Because it is then when we are becoming light to the world. We are being like Christ so that we can testify, we can be a testimony of his goodness, of his kindness. And when I talk about the world, I'm not talking necessarily about China, India, Canada, Colombia. I'm talking about your kitchen. I'm talking about your living room. I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about Medford. And yes, I'm talking about Colombia. About you guys being light to the world. But it starts with our own heart, with our own place, with those we love, being a testimony to those who are around us. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. But that, as I have, I have said, that love, that humility, that patience has to be whole, has to be genuine, has to be complete. God wants us to be one. That is why in verses 3 to 6, Paul uses Seven ones, seven ones. I will explain what I mean by that. To show the idea of wholeness in our lives, of integrity. He says, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. In John 17, 21, he, Jesus is speaking, he said, praying to the Father, that they all be one. Jesus, you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may in, in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It is when we start understanding that the Lord wants us to be one, not two, not three, not four, not five. And yes, it has been my struggle. And for me, it's harder than for many of you. Because I have to be <laughs> a pastor in the church <laughs> and a regular citizen <laughs> in the, the street <laughs> and a regular struggling human man, husband in my home. It's not, it's not easy, huh? It's not easy to be one. 
It's not be easy to be one in fellowship with Christ. There are so many things that separate us from Christ, from fellowship. But the call or the implications of this call we have is to be one. To be one. Just like Jesus was one with the Father, one in mind, one in heart, one in daily living. So I hope that by now you are understanding that the purpose of your life should be to exalt Christ by conducting your life in the world, in your family, in your workplace, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. A call that is eternal. A call that is spiritual. A call that is glorious, that is not corruptible, that doesn't have anything, anything to see with the things of this world. So, number one, foundation to exalt Christ in your world, in this world, by walking in a manner that is worthy of that call, in all humility, in meekness, in patience, bearing with one another, being complete, just one. The second point, okay, exalt Christ in your church. And I will go faster now. Before one, we will be done, believe me. Second, exalt Christ in, the, in, 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 the, in your church. Verses 7 to 12. Now the second point, point is, is extremely important. Because um, it starts with verse 7. It says, but grace was given. Grace was given. It's something that has already taken place. The Lord has given grace. It says, to each one of us. And you know, I, I, I did a word study in Greek. And then I went to the Hebrew, trying to understand and to figure out what it means to each one of us. And I found something so insightful. You know what it means? To you, to you, to you, to you, to me. <laughs> That's what it means to each one of us. To all of us. All of us have received grace. No one of us missed it. No one has more. No one has less. All of us have received grace. In John 1, 14 and 15, 14 to 16, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And here in Ephesians, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the what? To the measure. And when, he, when Paul says to the measure, it doesn't mean that he's putting a cup into each jar of grace. No. He's talking about how huge, how vast, how eternal that grace is. Because it's according to 
the infinite power, generosity, kindness, sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You have that grace. We should be so excited today. We all have received grace. Through what? Through the church. We haven't received grace through the malls we have in Medford. Wow, now we are so blessed. We have in and out in Medford. We have chicken filet. <laughs> Those are not the graces, the blessings this text is talking about. It's about a grace that comes upon the church and exclusively and exclusively through the church. Because it says that Jesus Christ came, verses 8 and 9, and that's what they are talking, that Jesus Christ came, left his glory, became a man, died on a cross, suffered, so that you could receive that grace and those gifts you have through what? Through what? It says here in verse 10, verse, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip you, to build you, to establish the foundation of your life for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, for building up the body of Christ do you want to be built upon a solid foundation? The church is critical. Church is not an option. Church is the place where God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has sent, have sent His grace. So He had to die on the cross, imagine, to establish a pastor. Like Dale, like Pastor Brian, Pastor Jean, Pastor Bill, and all the leadership of this church. How special these men are. Christ had to come, die on the cross, so that He will give us these men to build our lives. Upon a solid foundation. That is a privilege. To be part of the church is not an option. And you, I can tell you with all honesty, this is such an unique, such a blessed, such a privileged church. There are so many opportunities to grow here, to be equipped, to serve the Lord. So, number one, kind of viewing, are we exalting Christ in our world? Are we exalting Christ in our living room, in our kitchen, in our neighborhood? Are you having a perspective of your life that reach out the world? That has been enriched? Are you building your life by exalting He Christ? 
in the church? Doesn't say through Zoom, FaceTime. No, we have to come back to normal life and be part of the church. We need to start reaching out to others. We need to be part of the body. With all respect, very, a lot of respect, I want to use this illustration. If one of my limbs, one of my arms, would end up grown at the same or in the same measure that the rest of my body, maybe I would struggle a little bit. Maybe I would be a little bit different. God doesn't want you to be like that. God wants you to grow, 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 grow with the church. There is no such thing as, oh, you guys cannot be like Pastor Del. No, you, we all can be. We all can be like Pastor Brian, Pastor Bill, Pastor Jim. Like, he wants us to grow in the church. He wants us to be built. He wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be strong. He wants to be, uh, want us to be solid. And that is through the church. Now the third point, verses 13 to 16. It says, verse 16, it says, verse 13, excuse me. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This verse gets personal. There is a purpose in walking in a manner of this call. That is, as you seek to, to exalt Christ in the world, as you seek to exalt Christ in, in the church, you start reaching out that maturity, that, that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This gives me the idea of an ambassador. You know? If I were to tell you, yes, I'm a missionary, but the truth is that I'm, I am the ambassador of France here in the, in the, in the States. Oh, it doesn't look like a French. No. No, we have to be like Christ if we are going to represent him. We want to be like Christ if we want to represent him. If we want to exalt him, if we want to, to be his, ambas his ambassador, we have to be like he is. And again, this gives us the, the, the idea of unity, of consistency. We have to reach a measure. We have to reach a stature in Christ. That is the call we all have. And verse 14 tells us the reason. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. To use the illustration I said at the beginning, so that our houses are properly built, so that the winds of this earth, of this life, 
don't blow away our life? Do you have the character of an adult person that can examine your own life and to see if you are building your life upon the sand or upon the rock? We are called in verses 15 and 16 to speak the truth in love. That is to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to build. We are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head. That is the call we have. And that is something that you do in your own heart. In your own heart. As you understand that you have a call to reach out the world, as you understand that you have a call to be part of the church, then you start building your own life, your own heart, your own spiritual well-being, so that you reach that stature of Jesus Christ. Notice that the church is the middle of these three points. It is the church where we find the opportunities to minister to the world, to build ourselves so that we can minister to the world and we also grow in our own heart. In closing, those are my three points. But I want to close with this short um, thought from 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul speaking again from prison he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those who have built the houses, waiting, expecting his appearing, building on the rock. And you know what? As Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. And most historians and theologians reckon that only in, in a few weeks he would die. In a few weeks, you can Google and see the prison where he was at. And the only way out to that prison was the place where, according to historians, he would be decapitated. He would lose his head. Most historians agree that he died decapitated. And notice, notice how he can examine his life, the past, the present, and the future. He had lived a life just with a lot of suffering. But he had built his life on the rock. And knew now in this present, he didn't care about that present. Why? Because he had a future hope. And what is very interesting about this is that he's expecting to be crowned. Is that what it says? But guess what? He was decapitated. Upon which head was put the crown? And he knew he was going to be decapitated. But his hope 
his perspective in life went way beyond this world that he could lose his head, but he would never, ever, ever, ever lose his crown. Let that be your life. That no matter what you lose in this life, no matter what storms you go through your life, as you build your life to exalt Christ in the world, to exalt Christ in the church, and to exalt Christ in your heart, you will have a crown. You will have eternal dwelling. Safe for you, uncorruptible. That is the privilege we have in Christ. Today here, there are three kinds of people. And I want to close with an encouragement to three kinds of people. First, there are those who have been able to, through the years, to, to establish your life upon this foundation. My encouragement for you is to continue doing so. Encourage others in love to, to do so. Second, there are those that might have gotten discouraged in the last few months. Be encouraged. This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of love. Message of love. This is a message of hope. Message of hope. Be encouraged. Talk to the pastors here in the church, to the, to the leadership, and seek ways to grow in this process of building up your life. And, and if there are those who have not experienced Christ, who even don't know how to apply this because they don't have a personal relationship with Christ, talk to one of the elders, pastors, one, one of your brothers here in the church or the sisters, that they will show you that there is only one way, there is only one truth, and only one life, that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your powerful word. And Lord, we wouldn't be here if you were not because of the person of Jesus Christ who came and showed us how to live a life like this, a life totally lived to exalt the Father in the world, a life totally lived to equip your disciples to build the church, to establish the foundation to a church that after 2,000 years is still here. And Lord, also thank you because you had such an intimate relationship with the Father through your sufferings, through your joys. Help us to live that way and I pray for this beautiful, precious church. Father, bless us all. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Yeah, you want to clap, don't you? Let's clap. Thank you, Ricardo. Wow, what, a, what an encouragement. You think the Lord's telling us something? I mean, two messages from Ephesians 4 within a month's time. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Hey, I just want to um, remind you, Pastor Jim mentioned uh, this class that's going to be class. Camille's going to be facilitating reading through this book via Zoom, right? And that's going to be starting in January. But um, so the first Monday of January this started, a lot of you signed up for it, but you 
don't have books. I have books, so if you're a part of that, come see me, and I'll give you a, a free copy of that. And um, all right. Well, God bless you all, and uh, thank you so much, Ricardo, Vanna, Vivi. Good to see you so much, and glad you're, you're going to be here for... Until Friday for sure. Okay. So we'll see you at men's group. We're, the men uh, are blessed. You know, we get to participate with, uh, together in a Wednesday men's group, and Ricardo usually zooms in, but uh, it's nice to have him here in person. So it's nothing like being in person. Um, Pastor Dale, you have something? No? Just waving and standing and relishing in this. Okay. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. And if you can stay to help, we're going to be putting things away today. Yes. Thank you.